This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I am joined once again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. You can't wave, man. They can't see you. This is, <laughs> but, say, but thanks for saying so. So, <laughs> so we're we're going to jump right into topic in, in just a minute here. Uh, go to practicalshepherding.com, though, and you can contact us and reach out to us if we can be a help to you. That's the best way to touch base with us. You can find us both on social media, and you can you can send messages to us. That's another way that we can interact with you. Um, but go to the website. There's tons of resources there to be a help to you. And uh, also, if the ministry's been helpful to you, you can go to the donate page and leave a financial gift to help us as we press on in the work that we're doing here. And Jim, what we want to talk about today, you know, a lot of there's a lot of regular listeners or people who follow the ministry of practical shepherding, and many of them know my story at the church. The, you know, the hostility I faced in the early years, the three firing attempts that that I survived in those first five years that that you walked through with me, and it can testify mm. that it's actually real. I'm not embellishing the story, but right. that it actually really happened that way. And uh, and then the ship turned, and then the church flourished for many years uh, after that. And out of that story, of course, I I get asked a lot about how, how do you how do you endure in hostility, and a lot of the the mantra of what we talk about with you thirty plus years in the same church on top of that is we we often advocate for pastors to stay and try to press through the difficulties. We find a lot of pastors face the difficulties and they and they leave pretty quickly out of that. And so we we often talk about how to press on, how to how to press on through the adversaries. Right. In fact, you got, you know, I, we've got 1 Corinthians 16. I'll let you mention in a minute, but the uh, but what we want to talk about today is actually reasons to leave a church, which mm. is not something we talk about as much, is it? I and mean, we we're usually harp, we're usually waving the banner of stay through it and persevere. Practical shepherding is the stay. That's true. Ministry. Many times, yeah, that's what we that's more of what we talk about. We want to acknowledge though that there are legitimate reasons, obviously, but we want to talk about them. Legitimate reasons for a pastor to leave. And I would say even, you know, most people who know me know I I, I advocate for the 5-year rule. This is to say that you have to stay a minimum of 5 years to really know what you're working with, to really know whether this church is going to turn around under your ministry or not. And a lot of guys don't make it to 5 years even, but I would say there are reasons to leave a church inside of 5 years, even though mm-hmm. I advocate for the 5-year rule. So, but Jim, want to set this up biblically for us before we kind of try to get into some of these reasons that a pastor would leave his church. Well, when we were discussing this topic, both of us had First uh, Corinthians sixteen and verse nine uh, as our primary text. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and he doesn't say but; he says and there are many adversaries. So right. again, it's yeah, not right. just but there are adversaries, but it's difficult. It is and is difficult, and so great and effective door. When you hear that, and you think, you know, woo, things are great. Uh, this is going to be a great ministry, uh, and every ministry. So Paul says to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, and in part of again, you know, you preach the word sometimes, and he tells him. Time's going to come. You're going to preach sound doctrine. Oh, by the way, people don't like sound doctrine, and they're going to go after others. They'll heap to themselves teachers, and again, endure affliction. And, yeah. uh, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill Do your the ministry work of an evangelist right that's, that. that's in there. That's yeah. so. Second Timothy four five. Uh, all comes in there together, and, and 
So we start with the reality that, hey, guys, you need to know you're getting into something that is hard. I mean, part of this, Brian, is it's labor. So labor is done right now under the curse, thorns and thistles. I, that text comes to my mind, okay, how many times? Thorns and thistles, it will grow. Yeah. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. So whether it's I'm sitting, whether it's a difficult passage or it's a difficult counseling session, or there's some rumblings in the church, or somebody's not happy, or whatever it is that keeps you from being on an even keel and just really thoroughly enjoying what you're doing. It's the reminder, I labor in a cursed world. Our, all labor has toil. It's it's all thorns and thistles. It's mm-hmm. gonna, all your labor is going to, and when it's not, it's a really unusual season of ministry. So we ought to expect it. But Brian, what we're asking is sometimes are are, are those many adversaries sometimes uh, assigned to us that maybe we ought not to be here? Maybe this isn't what we ought to be ought to be doing. Those kinds of questions that will come to mind. Well, when we read that text, and and I have, I share about it many times, that the and is really important. It's the two the two reasons Paul stays in Ephesus to not come see the Corinthians is the context right. of that is open door ministry and there are many adversaries. The right. adversaries are the reason he stays. And so often when the adversaries come, our posture is to to use them as an excuse to leave. Right. But that doesn't mean that the adversaries, among many other things, could be the sign that you don't need to stay anymore. Yeah. And that's what we want to be able to That you're free in your conscience. Yeah, so let's talk about when are you free in your conscience, when you're not going to beat yourself up. And, right. Um, be, it, we're, we're in a difficult situation, Brian. We talked about this earlier in, in prep. We're talking about, you know, that we're trying to read providence sometimes. Right. And it's, and as I say, you know, providence is like Hebrew, is best read backwards. And you, <laughs> you don't know at the time, you know, how this is going to play out. And we can become like Gideon, just laying fleeces before the Lord. Like if this doesn't end by you know February, right. then I need to go, or you know whatever the case. We're just human beings. Brian, neither of us are charismatic in regard to expecting that we're going to get a verbal word from the Lord on this, or that we're going to have a dream, or it's going to be written in the sky, or that a prophet's going to come and tell us what to do. We're going to try to interpret God's providence. But in the interpretation of that providence, can we look at a ministerial situation and say, I think it's time for me to go or change? If I had to summarize what my main work is in at Southern Seminary with the Revitalization Center as I'm training students there to go into revitalization, if I had to summarize the main idea of what I train them to do, uh, it is to prepare them for a unique suffering that will come if they go into a dead church and mm. what might come from that. And I would say after doing it now, about to start my seventh internship, uh, Lord willing this fall, uh, I have found that that is the thing. Shockingly, that's the thing that blows their minds consistently more than anything else. That what ministry isn't this pie in the sky, idealistic, you know, I go to the big conference and see that guy preach, and that's what ministry is, right? People are just, I'm going to get to preach, and people are going to love me and always receive my ministry. And like, I, I, I'm just, I'm continually amazed at the shock that comes with, with a lot of these guys realizing that what the passages we just read, 1 Corinthians 16, the, the pastorals where Paul tells Timothy, right. endure suffering. 
right? Uh, you don't fulfill your ministry. Like despite those passages, it's incredible how much how much young folks uh, idealize ministry still. Yeah. So I I've just kind of resolved my job in a sense is to go burst the big fat bubble and see how many are standing and want to still do it by the end of it. And and thankfully, there's still a lot of them who who want to do it, but the perspective changes. So I would say that that is one of the things that's missing in so many trainings around, Mm. and and you've alluded to it as well. And I think it's what leads to guys maybe who go take pastorates and leave within a couple of years because of of different reasons. Let's let's go ahead and get into those reasons, Jim. Let's maybe go back and forth. What's one legitimate reason a pastor, whether he's been there 18 months or he's been there five years and made it to five years, what's a legitimate reason that he might leave his church? Okay, I'm going to start with some easier ones. Yeah, go ahead. So physically, he's physically unable to do the work. Uh, Explain that. He may be beset with so much weakness. Let's say, for instance, he gets ALS. Okay, yep. Or his heart condition becomes such that the doctor tells him this is we laugh at this sometimes. You know, doctors always like to say, "I want you to avoid stress." And it's like, oh, "Okay, you got another planet for me to live on? Yeah. Or do you have a world where I'm not married and don't have kids and don't have a church and don't have a job and, and don't hire thirty and don't yeah. have bills? Yeah, right. uh, or, you know, where where's the where is this place? What are you what are you talking about?" Right. But again, I think it he may just wants be, to be on record that it is stress related, and that's why right, he says those right. things. Right, but it but it is the recognition sometimes that you might be at a place where this is killing you, or that you're just physically not able to go on anymore. You just you 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 just you have to relinquish it. Like the, you know, like whether it's like a ball player, he gets to the place where he's slowed down, and his bat speed or his footwork isn't you know enough. Uh, he just, you know, that 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 split second of timing isn't there anymore, and he realizes time to go. Uh, it might, it may be physically, hmm. well, that was because there is there is physical labor. I mean, there, you have to be strong enough to be able to be alert and meet with people and to work in a study. And then Brian, I, you know, they've done tests on this. I, I don't know who's done these tests, and I don't know if they're valid or not. But I've heard that, you know, that. Preaching vigorously is akin to running. I can't remember how far. At least a hundred feet or more. No, but <laughs> no, it's, no, but it's you know there is a physical exertion. There is, and if you're yeah. huffing and puffing and you're not able to uh, be able to present the good, you you can't you can't preach for any length of time without bodily weakness taking over. It's just, I think that's an easier one to say, I'm, I probably need to consider doing something else. Well, My was, bell's palsy. When I had that and I couldn't yeah, speak properly, away, I, right? I almost thought, I thought seriously, but well, if this doesn't clear up, I'm going to have to retire. Yeah. I remember us talking about that. Yep. And, you know, this was my story too. After those five years, you know, my, my physical body started shutting down. I had a a heart condition that developed that I had that I've had to manage for uh, and watch for years that came out of that. And I remember questioning when the docs linked it to stress. Mm. Uh, you know, I had to ask myself, how much longer can I stay in this environment? And, you know, again, I had hit five years at that point and didn't know that things were going to eventually let up soon after that. But, um, but yeah, the the physical is a le- is a legitimate way, especially. When I'm watching, as all, all the pastors I'm working with, especially who are in their 40s and 50s even, who 
are starting to see the physical manifestations of the rigors of ministry they have, it's a legitimate thing you gotta you gotta think about. I'm watching some guys have to step away from their ministries because the physical side has just gotten to be too much. And it, you certainly don't want to. I mean, we we romanticize dying in the pulpit, but that's actually not what we want to to do. We we want to be able to hopefully take care of ourselves where we can continue on for long periods of time before that happens. Okay, so physically is one. Uh, I would say uh, one that uh, what comes to mind for me is if uh, if your family hits a place where they can no longer endure this, and I I, I want to put this out as a category as a legitimate reason to leave, but I also want to highlight that I think it's it's more complicated to nuance whether that's the case or mm-hmm. not. So I do want to put it out. I think it's a legitimate category. Right, I have it down as my list. You too. do okay. So I think that. Uh, I think it's legit for the obvious reasons. I mean, if if you know, you have the prerequisite of First Timothy that we have to care for our family as a prerequisite to qualify for ministry. So, if you know, if, if something's going on to where our wife or our children or whatever are, are being significantly harmed uh, in a in a way that that they cannot endure anymore, and it's getting you know, it's getting scary. Uh, because of whatever the ramifications of that are. I think it's a legitimate reason that a pastor might have to step away from his ministry. And that's the thing is, is leaving a church doesn't mean you leave ministry uh, permanently. Mm-hmm. There, there, is no, there is nothing wrong with a pastor just recognizing this is going on, you know, I've got to, re, you know, I've got to regroup and then maybe I can enter back into ministry. But that's a legitimate reason if your family is is not handle, able to, to endure your ministry. Now, having said that, the reason I say it's it's a more complicated nuance is because I deal with this often with pastors who will come to me and say, like, my wife's done. Like, I've been here four years. Things are, you know, there's fruitful things happening. Things are going pretty well. My wife's got hurt here or accused here or whatever, and she's just done. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to come back to church anymore kind of, right. kind of comment. And what I often discover as I have those conversations is – Oftentimes, a wife is done in those moments because she's not being cared well for by her husband. Right, and so again, that's why I say that, like, some would expect because people know this is a big deal to me. I think some would expect somebody to come, a pastor to come and go, "My wife's done," and me say, "Well, then you need to resign to next Sunday." And that's not my reaction. It's mm-hmm. usually okay. Let's find out what's going on and yep. why. It, we may discover that she can't handle this anymore. And you've got a responsibility first to her, then before your ministry, right? And you, and that is a legitimate reason to live, leave. But I, but I will say that I think that uh, you, there's got to be some work done to figure out uh, why your family's in that spot. Right. Because pastors a lot of times get consumed with their ministry, and they terribly care for their families in a lot of ways. I look back on the early years, you know, and and realize that there are ways that I, I didn't care well for my family. I thought I was right, and so. Uh, I think family's one. Uh, what's a, what's another one for you, Jim? Or do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brian. There are sometimes it, it becomes. I mean, the, the family situation becomes such that it it becomes readily apparent. You probably need to, you know, at least step aside for a time. Step I mean, because right? obviously, part of the qualifications have to do with our families and our children. And if the you know the if the kids are rebelling and such, I mean, it's possible they're they're rebelling again in such a way because maybe it's either through neglect or through other things. That you realize that I I'm I'm not able to to do this in the or a guy's wife leaves him you know that's another question you know watching that happen yep. you've seen that happen so yep. I mean that so I think you handled that well um, Brian let, I'm going to do another easy one and go then we'll get into some harder ones All right. that I have 
um, doctrinal. Okay. You may have some doctrinal reasons for leaving. Um, it's possible that in your study, you you have changed doctrinally, or it's possible that you're striving to be faithful to that congregation and preach maybe what's even in their creeds or confessions, but the congregation's not having it. Yeah. And do you encourage a guy to spend years beating his head against a wall or go to a place where there are hungry sheep eager to hear that kind of preaching? Yeah, yeah, good I point. Mean, I, think there, I think there are men who have... It's hard to say this, you know, but you almost feel like squandered years of their lives in a congregation. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow. That's that's a truism about sheep and shepherds. If people aren't hearing you, either they're not your sheep or you're not their shepherd. You know what I mean? I mean, or you're not a shepherd or you're not their shepherd. And sometimes the reality is that you're not the shepherd for that flock. And one of the ways you may realize that and recognize that is going to be doctrinally uh, that these these people are not feeding upon and following uh, my lead. Or again, you've changed. So you're a Baptist, you're a Southern Baptist. Like okay, you, we got a, you have a friend, and he was here at one of your uh, the the conference we did. Yeah, he was well. pastoring in Southern Baptist churches, but in his heart and in his mind, he'd become Presbyterian, hmm. and he needed to change. Mm-hmm. He needed to leave a Southern Baptist context because he no longer could affirm Baptistic doctrine wrongly. No, wrongly he couldn't know. But so, but you know, we're Baptists. We're we're convinced Baptists. If I if I were pastoring a Presbyterian church, like a man like Fred Malone, some people know Fred Malone. Fred was a PCA pastor for some years, but as he began to study the Word, he became convinced of Baptistic convictions. He couldn't stay there anymore. He had to yeah. leave. Yeah, that's good. We, we got to acknowledge too that that. Pastors evolve in these ways too, right. so uh, I think that's a that's a good one. I, one question though, as a follow up on that, is and I agree with you. I think this that is a reason to leave. Would you ever encourage a guy who's been at a church for eighteen months and he says, "Hey, statement of faith said this." Uh, I told them who I was. They said they wanted me to come, and as I'm preaching, I realize they don't they don't hold to this stuff. They don't they don't believe that. Would you tell a guy in those first couple of years once he sees that? that it's time to leave? Or would you encourage him at least to stick it out a few years to see if he could actually you know, lead that church that way? Yeah, I, I think you, you have to ask yourself, what, what is the point in which you give up on something? I mean, like in a business when you say, yeah. hey, we're bleeding money, now let's keep at it, let's, let's keep advertising, yeah. let's try, and at some point you realize I just can't, I just can't That's do right. this anymore. Yeah. That's right. So Brian, I don't, know what the, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. I, don't know, I don't know what the cutoff point is. I think if, if people are demonstrating a willingness to hear, if they're if they're willing to make incremental changes, and you're being wise, and you're not being, you're not bull in a china shop, you're not the guy who's confronting everything as though it's on a ten on the Richter scale. You've tried to say, okay, where do I need to begin, <clears throat> and how do I you know, wisely? <clears throat> excuse me. How do I wisely bring this church to a place of doctrinal health? This is something we ought to strive to do. Um, and again, you've been honest about what your convictions are. It's in line with the church's foundational documents, and and, and yet people have not heard this. Now, sometimes people are going to leave. Sometimes they're going to leave. They're going to try to out, out, outlast you. But if you're finding 
that there are some people who are getting it. And I think that's worthwhile. If, if there's, you know, mutiny over it, and, and, and again, you, you've had others evaluate you, evaluate your preaching, and it's not, again, that you're a bull in a china shop. It is simply a resistance to the truth. I think then you need to consider it may be time for you to go somewhere else. It's good. Here's another one I'll throw out there. Uh, when a pastor, and I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this, when a pastor um, misunderstands his giftings, Mm. So when a pastor guy goes to seminary, spends four years cranking away at a ninety-six hour MDiv, you know, or whatever, whatever it is, at, at different at different seminaries, goes takes his first church, and he realizes that preaching twice a week, two sermons, is and a Bible study on Wednesday evening on top of that, is is too hard for him to try to manage. Mm-hmm. In a way that he didn't realize when he thought he could, he didn't realize how long and laborsome it is for him to just to write one sermon. Um, that he realizes maybe he doesn't have the leadership gifts he thought he had to actually lead a to be the lead guy. So he may. Right. So when I say this, doesn't mean he missed call, his calling in the ministry, but maybe not to be the senior pastor who's preaching all the time, who's got to lead and have vision for the church right. and, and direction and those kind of things. Uh, I think I would put this in the same category. You may have separated them into two, but the the idea that um, you know, we talk about First Corinthians sixteen, when the adversaries come, uh, you underestimated what would happen when those adversaries come. Right. Oh, oh yeah. In seminary, right, it's, uh, uh, Jeremiah says, you know, let not he who puts on his armor boast as he who takes it off. Right. Uh, and then he also says, you know, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how will you run with horses in the day of battle? Yeah, yeah. And and if you realize and recognize, okay, I can't handle this even at this level, then I, I'm not going to be able to do this. There's some that just constitutionally uh, are are not are not meant to do this, and they've got good hearts. They think it's the way to serve Jesus. And and they feel guilty. They think they have to do it, right. and they're crushing themselves, and they're crushing their congregation. When in reality, it, it, you know, the Lord was never uh, in this calling. It wasn't really a calling because I think where there's a where there's a calling, there's going to be an equipping, and where there's an well, equipping, there'll be an a calling. However, you want to try. Well, I know people work that out in two different ways. But. Well, I think and so I think this is this this is one in itself that there's and I watch there's there's pastors that get into it and realize, man, I. You know, part of it's just—I mean—it's the shock of just doing it and not knowing what it's like, and you got to adjust and you got to figure out how how to take criticism in a way you didn't realize you don't take criticism very well. I mean, I think every pastor goes through that. I'm talking about guys that yeah. that discover—you know—this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I thought right. it was. They right. felt a pressure to pursue it or whatever. And and I actually have that conversation quite often with with pastors who are in a lead role and saying, you know, I, th- I think I would do better as an associate pastor mm-hmm. serving somewhere. And and that's a good self-discovery, by the way. That There shouldn't be shame around that. It's exactly. Just, that's a, that's right. But we're, what we're talking about, there's that's a reason to potentially leave your, your church. On the flip side of that, a reason to leave your church if you're an associate pastor and you realize, I want to be a lead pastor. I want to preach every week. I want to do, you know, and you discover that, which was me. I I, I was an associate yeah. pastor for eight and a half years and finally really... I, I want to I want to preach the word every week. I want to shepherd my own flock. That was a self discovery I had no idea about when I entered ministry that evolved over the course. It took almost a decade to to get there. Yeah. So, so you had the opposite. I had the happened. opposite experience right. in that way. To say it right, I don't want to be in this position. I think I'm called to that, which resulted in you leaving a church 
and right. leaving a position that you were in. That's right. Okay, another one, Jim. Uh, financial. Okay, talk about that. Uh, you are you are called as a man to provide for your family. Okay. If any man can't provide for his family, he is he is denied the faith. He's faith. He's worse than an infidel. That's pretty strong language. Yeah. Uh, if you realize that. Even on a relatively tight budget, you're not able to sustain. You're not able to financially provide for your family. And so whether, again, it's a church that says, hey, we're going to give you uh, whatever pittance thing, and you think at first, oh, we can make it work. We're going to suffer for Jesus. There's a parsonage. We'll live there, and it'll, it'll work. Right. right. Yeah. You know, the parsonage with a hole in the roof and, you know, <laughs> that, that that's uh, – Oh, freezing in the in the in the winter, and that's a, an inferno in the summer, uh, and you know the anyway. I, I think there, there can be, and again, you got to be careful with this. You, but the recognition, perhaps even with a part time job, the problem with a lot of guys who train for ministry is that we it's all we do is we train for ministry. I did this, so I went to Bible. I went to, from high school to Bible college, and then to seminary. And so, I mean, a marketable degree, uh, I did not have. It was not the kind of, I can remember, Brian, years ago, um, when you were a young whippersnapper. This is 1990s. So how old were you? And how old were <laughs> I was you? In high school in the in in high early school. 90s. Yeah. All right. Uh, when I started here, I would see in the back when we had these things called newspapers. What? And there were one Continue. ads yeah, in okay. the Courier Journal, and it would say, "Master's degree required." not seminary oh really it would say yeah, that. it would say that that's clever okay. you know it would say no we as though they were saying ah we don't really consider that a master's degree <laughs> oh that's that's but nice I was like, that doesn't count <laughs> that doesn't count for what we're doing and so you had a lot of guys you know working up you know, guys who had doctor doctoral degrees you know working ups you know for instance you you know pass me that box doctor still Jones. do still still do. do yeah because they're trying to provide for their family and yeah. again there's a nobility to that that's I, right I appreciate that that's right uh, but I'm sure again you weren't thinking when you got your PhD that you'd be pitching boxes at UPS most don't no but thank God the guy does that hey listen you got to deliver pizzas you deliver pizzas you know you do what you do what you can do probably be a good idea to work in the food industry in some way you can bring bring some food home for your family yeah besides your labors and tips um. But it could be even with that that you're just you're not able to meet the the general and at least yeah. at that church, the church is not able to pay you, and it may be that it's it is you're not sinning to say I need to find I either need to work full time and do this part you know do my be bivocational but my my money needs to come outside of the church yeah and I I appreciate you mentioning that and the the other side to that and by the way. We need to say that that in our ministry at different times, both of us, at, for different reasons at different times, we've gone out and done side work to uh, provide mm-hmm. for our families. Yep. And that's so. I, I want to be clear that when we say financial, I, I I want to make sure you know that that. And I deal with there are guys that, that go out and and again this idealistic approach to ministry that they're supposed to make a certain amount of money from the church and they should walk into that that big salary and situation and when it's not there that they would claim well i'm i'm leaving i can't support my family and i i think the conversation i end up having with pastors is look you you have to you know can you go ask the church to pay you more if they can't afford you 
Are you willing to stay there and do ministry and be bivocational and be able to support your family that way? Because there was a point, as you know, that I, I hit a point where the church could not pay my full-time salary as we were going through some transitions. Which, and I was going to have to go get it. I was not going to leave the church over that. I was going to go get another job and be vocational. And right. that's when I came on to practical shepherding and, and, and started serving in this capacity. It's my other job in a sense. But at the time, I was willing to, I, I wasn't entertaining leaving. I was yeah. asking the question, how, how could I go and, and support what I need to do to go support my family? This is the ministry I feel called to. So I, I think that there's a lot of financial situations that would make somebody say, I can't make it work here. And, and I think once that's really the way to look at it is, is not are they paying me what I want to be paid? No, is this where God's calling you? Does this mean you need to be bivocational for a little while and you can support your family that way? Or can you just not make it work? And if you can't make it work, then that's probably a sign that maybe this isn't where you're supposed to be because to your point we're we're, we're called to provide for our family and that's got to be the priority that we have right and Brian we have to remember there there are things we think are the will of God or hope are the will of God and things we know are the will of God that's right yeah and so if you're married and you have a family it is the will of God that you provide for them financially yeah. that is the will of God you believe it's the will of God that you be in ministry or that you believe it's the will of God that you be in ministry at that church yeah uh, but if you're not able to work out an arrangement, either by part-time work or full-time work or however it is. Wife works. Yeah, or yeah, your I mean, wife there's, works. There's all kinds and, of creative ways to go you know, do there, this. There are, anyway, there's lots of different things that go in, but I do think financial. Again, I'm not talking about exorbitant. I'm not saying, I, I want $300,000 a year and they're only paying me fifty or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you know, some of these places, like $15,000 a year, which I'm sure some, $10,000 a year, you have a really hard time living off of that. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, we got time for one more, Jim. So pick, pick a good one off your list and we'll use it as the last okay, one. Okay. Mental. Okay. Talk about it. Uh, mentally broken down to the point where you're ruining your, your, you, you have, you've run on mental fumes for so long or the burdens have been carried for so long that you've broken, you're, you're broken. Yeah. And, and sometimes there's a difference between being fatigued and being broken. That's a good word. And I think for sometimes fatigue, uh, some time off is going to fix it. Broken is, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. It's a recognition. Now, sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes when you're fatigued, you feel like I can't do it anymore. And really what you need is you need, you need a break. Uh, I find Brian sometimes mentally that, uh, and I've, I've told my elders this and they understand it. I realize that when I start to get cynical or start making cynical comments and elders meeting, it's generally the sign I need a break. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause that's not how I should be thinking. It's not how I should be speaking. I shouldn't be talking about the dear flock in a way that's condescending. Um, that's not loving and supportive. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm frustrated. And I realize that when I'm that frustrated, it's usually because my defenses are down and my my mind is is weary, uh, but I think some some guys have ministered to the point of brokenness, a genuine brokenness where it has it's they can't they really can't they can't get into the pulpit they can't get into the study uh, they can't go something to a, broke that's not going to yeah, be fixed yeah it's, it's not yeah. going to be able to be fixed by by staying in yeah. ministry and 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 certainly by staying there yeah that's good and it may be related to and I just you know I'll touch on this we you know that there's so much adversary uh, adversarial it's so adversarial Brian you were able to do it you're put together in a way 
I don't know how I would have done. I, 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 I struggle at times when I know people are displeased. It weighs on me probably more than I should, or I sense somebody's angry or they're, they're murmuring and you're trying to deal with it. But it sometimes it affects me when I'm, I'm getting ready to preach. I'm thinking about it. It affects me when I'm in the pulpit and I'm looking out and I see a sour face. Uh, I, I don't as readily as some, some guys just blow that off. Other guys, it collapses them. Other guys are in between. But I think when you're at the point where your mental health is, is on the line, you either need a break yep. or you good. need, you either shouldn't be in ministry or you, sh- or you shouldn't be in ministry at that church. That's a great word. You know, Bill Hughes, uh, who's two of our heroes, uh, he, he said something, one of the most profound things I ever heard him say, and he said a lot of profound things, as you know, Jim. He said to me that, he says, I want to preach till I'm 90, but I, I can't do the pastoral work anymore. He right. said this in his early 80s, I believe. And and that just really stuck with me when he said it. it just kind of articulated the that that there's a, you know, 2 Corinthians 4, I mean, that, that we die so that you live. There's a dying, there's a there's a breaking that's taking place through the, the years and decades of pastoral ministry. And you can hit a point where you break and and that's got to be the place where you begin to you know transition out so mental mentally how that affects you is something that we don't I don't think give enough attention to but it shows up in some really devastating ways in our lives if we don't pay attention to it well we we we, Brian we've told the horror stories right of pastoral anxiety breakdown depression and suicide it all yep that's right and you know you know men who have you know that part of what led to that being brought to the, the really to the brink of ruin, yeah. it, it, you know, has been that they, they didn't know how to handle, uh, they felt guilty, you feel guilty, you feel like you're letting God down. You feel like you, you know, you're so sure of this calling that to leave it as a sin, right. you don't right. want to sin. And yet everything that again, God and his providence is demonstrating is that you need at least to step aside at least for a season mm. And I think that we need to be able to do that without shame, without guilt, and to know that we're actually honoring God yeah. in doing that. You mentioned my story, and and just I mean, God gave grace to be, sustain me through that time. But as I told you, I mean, almost at the end of that, I almost had to step away because of the impact. It's almost like God knew that it almost had to relent if I was going to stay right in that place. But I tell you what, if you ask me right now, I mean, because as I look back on that and what I experienced, it you know I. I get the question occasionally, hey, you you ever get you ever want to go do that again? And I'm like, uh, no. Like, <laughs> I, there's nothing in me that thinks I could actually endure that again. I know my family couldn't endure it again. Right. And so I, I think we just, this is about us embracing our limitations and recognizing that we're human. And even though we want to, we want to press on and be faithful to God, even in the face of adversaries to bring this full circle, you know, pastors listening to this, just remember you're human and you can only take so much. And that's the design, even. So, th- as we've talked about, there are legitimate reasons to leave. I would a final word on this, though, that, that don't sort through this on your own. Mm, Make sure you good. reach out to somebody, another pastor friend. Reach out to us. That's a big part of what we do at Practical Shepherding here. That Jim and myself spend a good bit of time talking to pastors, being an outside source to just help someone think through a situation that they're immersed in and they're having a hard time getting clarity on. Do I need to leave or do I need a break or do I need to do this or care for my wife better than I have been? Uh, so make sure you're bringing somebody else into that. So Jim, would you take a minute and pray for those guys wrestling in that particular yeah. way? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. You, you have given your Son, and you care for us as, as your own children. And Father, you know that everyone listening to this is in, is in a, a congregation, is, is in a ministry where they are feeling some degree of pressure, some degree of hardship, simply by dint of ministry in a cursed world. But, but Father, for those especially who are feeling crushed and who are wondering if it's time to transition, to move on to something else. Lord, do put people in their lives uh, who can give sound counsel. Uh, grant to them, Lord, if they needed just re- needed rest, a break, refreshment, and new perspective. And Heavenly Father, pray, watch over them. Watch over these precious flocks. Um, Father, grant that strength outside of ourselves where, where if that is the need. But Father, trust you for these things to lead and guide your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.